0: As you join us today, we want to welcome you back and say thank you. Thank you for supporting our ministry. Thank you for believing in our ministry. And we want to invite you to to connect with us. Either connect with us uh, physically by coming and worshiping with us. If that's not a possibility, connect with us by calling us. You can call the office. uh, Connect with us. Let us know who you are and what God's doing in your life email us. You can email us and we want to know what God is doing in your life. Each week when we're out in the community, we meet more and more people who are part of our television family and we're trying to compile a a kind of a database just of everybody who is part of this extended network and family and what God is doing because God is wanting to bring us together for the glory of God. And We want to be able to keep you connected in what God is doing through the life of Family of Grace. And you know how you may not be able to get here, but you can partner with us in many different ways other than coming physically. And we want to invite you to know what God is doing in a more active way through all of the ministries of Family of Grace. We only have just a few minutes on Sunday morning for the sermon, but we really want you to know The DNA of Family of Grace and how we are connecting in all, not only locally, not only nationally, but around the world for the glory of God. It would allow you to be able to pray for us more effectively. If you have your Bible this morning, turn to Luke 15 as we look at the good, good father. Last week we looked at the son. He came and asked the father to give him his half of the possessions. That fell to him, his portion. The father did that. And today I want us to pick up in verse 20. And it says. So he got up and he went to his father after he had lost it all. But while he was. But while the son was still a long way off. His father saw him. And was filled with compassion now would you would you circle that word was or or circle that word field what was field that those two words together that phrase was field because you you've, you've uh, heard that statement that i really still haven't been able to comprehend that i love them but i just don't like them why don't they like them Because of decisions that people make. That it takes all the like out of it. But there's something that's deeper that's unseverable. You cannot disconnect it. And this father, this good father loved the son. Now I find it interesting that he was filled. Was filled with compassion. Isn't it amazing how one small amount of information changes the way you feel about something. I mean, the way you feel about people in France today in Paris is completely different than you did a couple of weeks ago. When the tragedy fell upon that country, it resonated with many people. And we were filled with compassion. Amen? And so this father, I believe, loved the son unconditionally. But I believe there was something that was missing. I believe there was a head knowledge that he loved the son that was connected to the heart. But when he saw him, when he saw him in his brokenness, when he saw him coming up that dusty road, (coughs) coming up that dusty road, coming up in the despair of the world, when he saw him, he was overcome with compassion. And so it says, when he saw him, he was filled with compassion. And he ran. He ran. The son didn't run. He ran. The father. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned. Father, I have sinned against heaven and the earth. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father didn't respond to the son. Now think about that. Well, here's this big speech. You remember he had rehearsed this speech in his mind. Last week we looked at it. He said, which of my father's servants doesn't have food to eat and a roof over his head and shoes on his feet, clothes on his back? He said, I'll go home and I'll tell my father I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Could you just make me a servant that I may have something to eat? He comes and he gets through the first line. And the father doesn't even address the son. Verbally. Because he had already addressed him physically. He threw himself on the prodigal, threw himself on the boy, kissed him, fell on his neck, a grown man. And this day and time would have never done that, and we'll look at it in a few minutes. And he tells the slaves, the servants, what does he tell them? Well, let's look at it right here. He tells them, quick, quick, go, bring out the best wardrobe. And put it on him, a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then bring the fatty calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. So they began to celebrate and the party was on. Well, when we look at the good father, I need you to listen quickly. Because there's six things that I want you to write down. You say, Whoa, preacher, you're only supposed to have three points. If you got six, you're doubling up on us. Amen. Well, listen quick and I'll give them to you. The first thing about this faithful father, the good father, to be a good father, you have to be a faithful father. To be a good father, you must be a faithful father. That you would show up and be accounted for. It's overwhelming that with all of his rambling and Running around, the father was where the son left him. I remember one time years ago, there was this girl who was kind of a picture of this prodigal and uh, moved away and had really broke the heart of her mother. And uh, there was an opportunity. She called me and wanted to come home. And uh, the youth pastor and I went to Shreveport and and got her and uh, pulled her out of a very difficult situation and um, it was interesting, on the way back, I asked this question. I finally got the courage. I said, how did it feel to know we were right where you left us? I just began to cry. Knowing that we were still there serving the Lord. But more than us still there serving the Lord, our father is there and he's faithful. He's a good father. wonder how it felt that the... Son didn't have to go ask, where's the father? But the father saw the son. Can you imagine as their eyes met? As their eyes met. And so the interesting thing that I want you to understand about the father, number one, write this down, is that the good father, a good father never usurps the will of the son. A good father... Never usurps the will of the son. In other words, when the son came last week and said, Father, I've been thinking about this. Give me my half of the possessions that falls to me. Give them to me. Now the father knew at that moment that he was going to waste those possessions. That father knew that that son couldn't handle it. But he gave it anyway. And he never said, no, 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 that's not how we're going to do it. He never allowed his will to usurp the son's will. And I'm going to tell you, that's how God is in heaven. God will never allow his will to usurp your will. Contrary to some theological beliefs, God is not looking for a shotgun wedding. God doesn't want to hold you against your will and force you to love him. God wants you to love him freely, willingly, openly. Well, there's not a lot of love going on in a black male marriage, is it? There's not a lot of love going on in a relationship that is built upon a shotgun. Being held against your will. And the Father in heaven has a plan for us. Just like the earthly father had a plan for this son in the story, but when the son's plan no longer connected with the father's plan, the father did not force the son to stay, but he financed the trip to go away. And that's heavy, isn't it? And so the father will, the good father's will will never usurp the son. Will never usurp his will. He will never force his will upon his children because. A good father realizes you can't force anybody to do anything. Oh, they may stay, but it's kind of like the little boy who was acting up in church. Kept talking and carrying on and running in and out of the church and all those things. and was distracting everybody around him. And finally, he wouldn't, he wouldn't stay still. And so finally, the mama took him out. He wouldn't sit down. And so the mama jerked him up, took him outside, gave him a whipping. Brought him back in and sat him down. And so finally, so time passed and he was having a hard time sitting there. And he looked at the mama and he said, I'm standing up on the inside. A good father realizes that you may force someone to do something against their will, but they're really not doing it. They're just going through the motion. And the good father understood that he could have made the son stay because the son didn't have anything unless it had been given to him by the father. But the son, the father understood that he could have kept the son, but he would have lost him in the process. Therefore, if he was willing to give up on the son and let the son go out on his own, he had a promise that he could come back to. And we'll look at that in just a moment. A good father never usurps his will above the children. Now. Now understand, there was a lot that happened in this dynamic relationship, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to instruct your children, guide your children. I mean, these guys were grown men at this point; they were well up in their, probably in their teenage years, or maybe even young men. And so he understood at that point. You know, I mean, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like children. I mean, if you don't start trying to train them to go in the right direction until they're sixteen. You don't have much of a window to do much training, amen? I remember a friend of mine, a mentor, had a boy's home, and he would take kids from Rapids Parish that (coughs) the courts couldn't do anything with. They'd send him out there to him, and and he would take all these boys in. And one day, this father from Texas called him and said, Do you have a place for my son? And he said, No, all my beds are full. And he said, Ah. He said, well, what's happening? Tell me a little bit about your situation. And so he began to tell him about the situation. And he said, you know, he said, when you called, you asked, did I have any open beds? And he said, I told you, no, I didn't. And he said, I don't. I don't have any beds open for a boy. But I tell you what, I got one open for you. And if you'll come over here as a dad, I'll teach you some things in the next couple of weeks that can fix your problem without ever sending your son. Sometimes what we need is instruction to be a good father. And a good father understands that you can't force somebody to love you. You can't force somebody to work. You can't force them to do these things. You have to lead them. And sometimes leading them means letting them get out of your sight. The second thing a good father understands is that you never give up. You never give up. You never give up. You see, the father had already been embarrassed publicly, and we looked at that with great detail last week, how it wasn't just, let me go cash in your college fund and give you a little spending money and and, and go away. It wasn't a simple thing. I mean, he literally had to liquidate a portion of the farm, a portion of the estate, and give it to this son. And it was crazy. It was crazy. And he was probably talked about in the community. And talked about in the neighborhood. And was a really a public disgrace. Because what that boy needs is a good whooping. What that boy needs is a good sitting down and telling him what to do. But I'm going to tell you today that too much... Human logic doesn't necessarily train children in the right direction to be good spiritual leaders. For you see, everything about the Bible is like a paradox. It's crazy. They're oxymorons. It's different. He who wants to save his life must lose it. I'm telling you, as we think about those things, what in the world does it mean? It means that Heavenly wisdom cannot be understood by human logic because it doesn't add up, but it works. And the father said he never gave up on the son. Go back when the son was still a great ways off. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll tell my father, father, I've sinned. I've sinned and I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Would you make me a servant? And when he he began to come, the Bible says, and while he was still a great ways off, the father saw him. Why did the father see the son? Because the father never gave up on the son. When he sent him away with his portion of the estate and the farm and all of his assets, he never gave up. I'm telling you that when that boy went kicking up dust, walking down that dusty road, leaving with all of that father's assets and going away to squander in another country, the father had him in his eyesight. He never gave up on him. He loved him unconditionally. He didn't barricade the driveway. He didn't say, You can take my farm, but my portion of the farm, it's yours, but don't you ever come back. Is that what he said? No. He just gave it to him and blessed him with it. You know, many times God doesn't give us stuff because he knows we can't handle it. This boy couldn't handle what he asked for. The men have been going through a book called The Same Kind of Different as Me. On Friday mornings. And in the middle of that book, Denver comes and he asks the very wealthy guy who has ten cars in his garage, and he says, Mr. Ron, do you own those cars, or do those cars own you? Who owns them? And in our life, many times, possessions and things own us. And the father's assets is what owned the son. So, whoa, stay with me here for a minute. So the quickest way for the father to get the son's attention again was to remove that which stood between the father and the son. And the son, mm, the, <coughs> the son couldn't see the father because of the possession. Therefore, the father was willing to liquidate, remove, release that which stood between him and the son. And when there was no more possession, guess what the son saw? the father what did he say in the hog pen which of my father's servants which of my he didn't say i'm going to go to, a, <clears throat> to mr john the neighbor down the street and, and go say can i be your servant no no, no 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 when he came to the end of himself and everything that stood between him and the father was no longer there The first thing he thought about was a father. I'm telling you today that maybe God's working in our life and you're walking through the valley of adversity because God's trying to get you to the place where he's removing that obstacle that's between us and him that we may no longer see the thing of the world, that we may see God. The father never gave up. Never gave up. The father publicly humiliated himself and Christ, publicly humiliated himself for us. The third thing the father never did is the father never valued possessions more than people. We looked at this last week, and I'm just going to touch on it for a moment. I just spoke about it. The father was willing to get rid of that which was between him and the son. So therefore, what was more valuable? The son. And I'm telling you today that I wonder what's more valuable to us. What's more valuable to us? I remember one time this person came to me and he asked me to pray about him getting a new job and and he was uh he was a father that was very involved in his children's life and I'm going to go ahead and tee this up I don't mean for this to be derogatory to men who have to work this way because men many men have to do this and and so we were talking about this conversation and he had an opportunity to be gone 30 days and be home 30 days and so this is a dad that I knew his his habits. I knew his natural rhythm. I knew that he was always involved in his daughter's life. And, man, he would tell me how early in the morning him and his daughter would have coffee together and they'd do Bible studies together and he'd tuck her in at night and he would go do stuff with her during the week. He said, Pastor, would you pray for me that I know what to do about this job? And I looked at him and I said, This is very simple. It's a simple prayer. Just ask yourself this. God, God. Do I want to be involved? Do I want to continue to have morning Bible studies with my daughter? Do I want to continue to tuck her in every night? Do I want to continue? Do I want to continue to be able to be there at all of her events? And when you find the answer to that, you know the answer to your question. Now, many men do that, and the world really wouldn't operate if men were not willing to make that sacrifice. And I know the other side of it. That, you know, whether when they're home, they're home and there's nothing else. It takes them away, however many times there is. But nevertheless, nevertheless, the, that father made a decision. He said, I, I, he, he didn't take that job. He said, I want to be there. I want to be there. I want to be there. And for this father, he never valued possessions. You see, I was thinking about this with my grandparents lately. And the legacy that my grandparents have left through... Their, grand, their children, their grandchildren, and now their great-grandchildren. And their children and great-grandchildren are changing the cities that they're living in. They're changing people around the world. And they're making a difference. And what I began to realize is this. That my grandparents did not leave us a condo on the beach. They did not leave us a nice ski house up in the mountains of Colorado that we could go to a resort on. They did not leave us a lot of worldly possessions. But I am telling you that they left something inside of us that is transforming into into a living legacy that is changing cities, towns, worlds, banks, and all kind of stuff around the world. Because what we leave in our children is more than what we leave to our children. And that father realized that he was old anyway, and he wasn't going to have those possessions much longer. I mean, even if he was young, he realized those possessions were just for a moment and a season. And so he said, I am going to. I love my son more than I love my possessions and I am willing to give it away. How many families have been divided and destroyed before the parents were dead and afterwards because of possessions? How did that happen? How did somebody get to a place where they love possessions more than things? The fourth thing about the father was the father never loved status more than the son. See, he may have loved his son more than the possessions, but wouldn't give the son the possessions because of status because for that father to give and sell and liquidate a portion of the farm and give it to a son that he knew was going to squander it was an embarrassment but that father was more concerned now stay with me for just a moment parents that father was was more concerned about making sure the son found his way home again and maintaining a relationship with him again than he was about being embarrassed in the community. Now why is this so important today? Because everything is about your status. People are checking their status all the time. We check our status two or three times a day. You post something, I post something on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever else it may be. We're checking it out to find out what they said. My my brother-in-law yesterday had my son. And uh, he's an Auburn fan. God love him. And uh, uh, he had took a picture. He said, this is what happens when you leave your son with me. And he had a picture of a Auburn bear and my boy holding it. And I replied, is that spit up on your shirt? And I kept checking it all day wanting to know what people said. See, we get to a place where we're more concerned about our status than we are our children. And when we get to that place, God can begin to do some interesting things in our heart and our life. That father didn't care about his status. That's why he took off running when he saw him. Grown men never ran in this day and time. That dad would not have run to the son, but he would have stood still. Any other father in this time would have stood still and waited for the son to run to him. He would have never fell on his neck. It was against their culture. He would have never fell on his neck and began to, he would have never done this. And I'll tell you something else, he would not have began to kiss him. I'll tell you something else that father would have never done. The father would have never threw a party and called the neighbors and said, guess what, my knuckleheaded boy who wasted all my money, who squandered it and threw it all away and now has nothing but some old stinky clothes to show for it. Come on and let's have a party. He would have let him slide in the back door and say, boy, I hope nobody sees that he's home. But mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, so I better let that boy come home. Anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Because he didn't care about his social status and embarrassed, he didn't care whether he was embarrassed. He didn't care what the neighbors say. He didn't care what the Jones says. He didn't care what the boss said. He ran and met the son. Now, he i tell you why he didn't care, because the same son that squandered this, he put a ring on his finger, a signet ring, which meant he had the right to conduct business on his behalf. I know I've shared this story before, but it just humored me for a moment because it fits. When I was a young boy, my dad bought a brand new tractor, and he let a guy get on it, and in the process, he had bought a new tractor, and he went to another place to buy a new piece of equipment to go with it, and by the time he came back, he had flipped that brand new tractor and destroyed it. So nevertheless, my dad went through the process, and he got another tractor, swapped it out, came back, and he put the same guy on it again. And my grandfather said, Buddy, you have lost your mind. Why would you let him? He just destroyed that other one. And my dad said, I can tell you one thing for sure. He'll never flip one again. I may have to worry about the other guys, but I don't have to worry about him. Because he knows the consequences. He knows how easily it can happen. And I'll tell you something, and we're going to look at this next week. The father didn't have to worry about the prodigal squandering anymore because he had already lost it all. He had nothing else to squander, but he knew that he could be trusted because he knew that the father was faithful to the finish. The father valued people more than possessions the father did not love his status more than the son the father never gave up on what he had invested in his children and the faith of the father affected the finished, finish you'll have to go online if you're watching at home to catch the rest of this sermon but here's what i want you to see i really want you to get this and this is hard i've I've grappled with this statement for three days because it's going to offend some people We love to take this scripture out of the Old Testament that says. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And it's the. This is going to be hard. And I love you. (laughs) This is going to be a hard statement. And we have so many parents that are pillowing their head on that scripture at night. And here's why it's hard, because I wonder if there's so many prodigal children and we're claiming that scripture, then why aren't any of them coming home? Because the Bible says, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. I'm afraid that many people have substituted religion for relationships. And their children have, they they, they equate, mm, well, this is even hard to say because I know you don't like it. They have equated taking their children to church or sending their children to church as to training them up. I'm telling you that if the only training you do with your children is in a corporate body, going through religious motions, I don't know how much old testament principle you have to hang on you see the bible says early in the morning when you rise up read and teach them when you go throughout the day read and teach them when you go to bed at night read and teach them and you see training doesn't necessarily happen in a classroom but it happens as you go I began to realize this as I began to be an adult. Now, how many grown men just don't know how to do anything. And uh, I began to realize how much I know my my dad and my grandfather never taught me. They never said, now, son, sit down here and let me teach you a lesson. But I watched them model the Christ life as we went. And I believe that this dad modeled the christ life in the life of that son as he went that's why i believe that when that son came to the end of everything that stood between him and the father he remembered that at home there was a good father he remembered that when he was a bad son when he was squandering when he was wasting when he was living like hell the father was loving like heaven She had more time to unpack that. but I'm telling you today that I believe the father had invested in this son and the returns were brought him back. See, he knew he could come home. How many people today have not spoken to their parents for years because they know how their parents are going to react if they tried to mend the relationship? So therefore the children never come home. Why Why don't, if we trained up our children in church, then why is it that more and more of our children are graduating from high school and never returning to church again? I'll tell you why. Pardon my phrase, but there are people that are mean as hell that go to church. And they saw people in the church treat their parents treat their neighbors, treat their pastors worse than people in the world treated each other in the name of Jesus. And they're growing up and saying, if that's what Christianity is, then I just soon not come back to it. Gandhi said, I would be a follower of Christ if it wasn't for the people who followed Christ. Telling you, don't you let the church train up your children. Let them help facilitate it. Let them be part of the dialogue, but don't subcontract the training of your children to any man other than yourself. Last thing, the faith of the father affected the finish. Now you gotta admit that's not too bad. Six minutes over for six points. The faith of the father affected the finish because of how the father lived his life and maybe you're here today and you're like pastor for me for me i understand this i understand this because i had an earthly father who modeled for me how i should live as a man how I should live as a husband, how I should live as a dad. I had an earthly example. So I get this a whole lot maybe easier than some of you do because some of you may have had a dad who was a drunk, an addict. You may have had a dad that never came home. You may have had a dad that walked out on your life and basically all he was was a sperm donor. And so you don't understand an earthly dynamic. But I'm telling you today that if you will just trust if you will trust that the heavenly Father is like the Father in this passage of Scripture, God will begin to take you to a next level, and maybe between you and God stands a bad earthly father, and you have said, "If that's what a father's like, I don't want nothing to do with the heavenly Father." I never. Let me share this. It just come to me. One day there was this. Girl who was a lesbian and her friend loved her, and she continued to invite her to church for months. Finally, she agreed to come. And when she agreed to come, they got to church that Sunday, and the preacher was preaching on this passage Husbands, I mean, wives, submit yourself to your husbands. And that lady began to pray who did the inviting, and she thought, Oh my goodness, I'm done. I'm done. This girl hates men. And now he's preaching on submitting to them. As she began to pray, at the end of the service, she leaned over in the invitation and told her friend, she said, now if I could ever find a man to love me like that, I would no longer be a lesbian. And she said, well, he's here. It's Jesus. That girl got up, went down to the altar, gave her heart to Jesus today. on that day. And God completely revolutionized her life. You see, the thing I'm saying is, there is a Father. And He's a good, good Father. Would you trust Him today?